one verse I'd like to look at uh, from John chapter 6, verse 44, and then Canons of Dort, third and fourth head of doctrine. And you know the third and fourth head of doctrine were put together for a reason. One talks about man's total inability, total depravity, man's wickedness, and it's linked to that irresistible or effectual call. And it had to be. And that's why they're put together. Knowing how wretched man is, he had to be helped so that he could come to Christ. And we're looking at the introduction of that in John 6, and then Canons of Do- Third and Fourth Head of Doctrine, Articles 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> John 6, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. That is the word of the Lord. Now article 1, 2, and 3 of Canons of Dort, 3rd and 4th Head of Doctrine. The effect of the fall on human nature, the spread of corruption, and total inability. Listen to the teaching of God's word. Man was originally created in the image of God and was furnished in his mind with a true and salutary knowledge. That word salutary was the original word was sound or sound knowledge of his creator and things spiritual in his will and heart with righteousness and in all his emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole man was holy. However, Rebelling against God at the devil's instigation and by his own free will, he deprived himself of these outstanding gifts. Rather, in their place, he brought upon himself blindness, terrible darkness, futility and distortion of judgment in his mind, perversity, defiance and hardness in his heart and will, and finally, impurity in all his emotions. Article 2, the spread of corruption. Man brought forth children of the same nature as himself after the fall. That is to say, being corrupt, he brought forth corrupt children. The corruption spread by God's just judgment from Adam to all his descendants, except for Christ alone, not by way of imitation, as in former times the Pelagians would have it, but by way of the propagation of his perverted nature. Article 3, total inability. Therefore, all people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God to reform their distorted nature or even to dispose themselves to such reform. That is the teaching of God's word. May he bless them all to our hearts today. Why man needs to be pulled. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I knew a man in my home country who would eat his food in the dark. And I'm not going to say he was a relative, but he was. And I asked why. And he said, well, 
you know there are lots of roaches around. And if I eat my food in the dark, you don't see the roaches. So it doesn't bother him. But roaches, of course, are horrible. They carry more diseases than rats. And these are not the little North American roaches. These are big guys. They, they, they can move things. But in his mind, if you can't see it, it's not there. On the other hand, I have a pastoral friend who is in Mississauga in uh, palliative care. And he's going to die. And the doctors told him he was going to die. He doesn't feel sick right now, but the cancer is taking over his body. What does he do then? He says, well, he starts calling people, wishing them goodbye, praying with them, asking them to visit him, making out his will, taking care of all the finances. He doesn't even really feel it all but he knows the reality and so he makes preparation for what will happen you see the difference between the two one pretends and the other faces the truth and why is this important you see when you learn about your sin you will learn that you've got to do something about it because it's very real and the Bible speaks the truth. And when you observe it in your own life. And in the life of your children. You will know that the Bible is speaking the truth. And then you will act. And that's what we're looking at today. Seeing the wretchedness of, the, of mankind. The effect of sin first. And then the extent of sin. Our goals are that you will develop a full sense of the effect and extent of your sins. And that you will love your Savior who removed your sins. And then that you will then work to rescue others who are still trapped in their sins. See yours. See the work of the Savior. And then look to spread that work to others. First of all, the effect of sin. God made man very good. Spiritually good. While plants... Animals, minerals were good. After God made them, he said they were good. He recognized that. You know, he looked at the, the wild tiger before it was wild and said, that's good. He looked at the monkeys and said, that's good. When he looked at man, he said, hmm, that's not good. That's very good. That's how God made us. We have a sense of morality. We have a conscience. We have a soul. We know right from wrong. God equipped man's mind with truth. He knew the ten laws when he was made. And then God made him with the ability to keep those ten laws. He had no tendency or predisposition to sin. But he had a predisposition to do good. Man was perfectly righteous in the full extent of his being. Man had everything he needed to continue to obey God after his creation. He had everything he needed in the Garden of Eden. 
Then man of his own free will rebelled against God at the instigation of the devil and grievously sinned against God. Now, why is that important to know and believe? Because Armenians, many of these are Pentecostal types, some Baptists and others, they have a strong opposition to this teaching in two ways. Some believe that when God made man, that human heart had the inclination towards sin to some degree. They believe the test that God gave Adam would have been useless on, without man having an inclination to sin, a small desire to disobey God. And because of this, they reject the real definition of original sin, which is enough to condemn man to hell forever. Instead, they think that original sin does not condemn man. It only makes it difficult for man to repent. So in their minds, and that's why they would say children are innocent. They would say any child who dies before the age of um, consciousness or awareness of sin, they're going to go to heaven. We don't say that, not even close. We say children of believers who die in infancy, we don't worry about their salvation. The Lord will save them. He condemned them in Adam through their parents, and he can save them through their parents. Those who have faith in the Lord Jesus. Other Armenians say, well, he didn't make us with a predisposition towards sin a little bit. He made us neutral. Both of these things are wrong. And if you start in the wrong premise, you will not understand human nature. You'll make some terrible uh, errors. Now, why are they wrong? Well, what's wrong with somebody saying, well, God made us with a little inclination to sin. Otherwise, how could man sin if he didn't have a little bit of an inclination towards sinning? Well, if you say God made man with an inclination towards sinning, you're actually saying that God made man sinful. But God didn't do that. Remember what the scripture teaches. Even if you have the desire to sin, if you look at someone lustfully, you're guilty of sin. If you hate, you're guilty of murder. There could be no inclination towards doing anything wrong. Look what happened after. Genesis 6.5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And there, that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So if you are sinful in your thoughts. You have an inclination towards sin. You are wicked in God's eyes. So those who say we're born with an inclination or God made us with an inclination to sin are sinning against God by saying that. They're accusing God of making man sinful. What about those who say man was neutral? If God created man in a neutral, with a neutral will, how could God say they were very good? You see the, the dog and the cats yeah, and, and the deer, well, they were made neutral. They weren't made with a sense of right and wrong of morality. And God said they were good. But when God made man, he said man was very good. Man was positively holy and inclined to do good when he was made. There was no neutrality in man. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was very good. So after man was made, that's really the capstone of his work. If God created man with a neutral will, and therefore man is able to choose to love God and serve God by himself, 
that denies the scripture that God must pull you. No one can come to the Father. How? Unless the Spirit draws him. So if somebody says you are neutral and you came by yourself, then you are robbing the Holy Spirit of his work. By the way, this is one of the reasons in charismatic circles and some uh, other churches that are Armenians, they emphasize the passion of the preacher and you got to pound in the pulpit and you've got to cry and do all kinds of gymnastics because you're appealing to the emotions. It's only about the people. You know, some of the greatest preachers in the world were the most boring people you'd ever listen to. They just sat there and read from their notes and they looked down. And yet God powerfully used that word because it was not up to the preacher. Now it doesn't mean you shouldn't learn how to publicly speak. But it wasn't left up to the preacher. He could stutter and not know the language properly. And God will use him powerfully because it's a spirit who used that word. But it was just neutral. Then you need all of that emotional drag to pull people along. And that's why in those churches you have rededication services. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They do them every week. And people are rededicating their lives every Sunday to God. because, And they have to go to the front and lay hands on them. You have to keep charging them up because it's human will. When the Holy Spirit pulls you, you're in for good. They rob Christ. You don't. No one can come to the Father unless the Spirit the father who sent me draws him. Now having fallen from his state of perfection. Man is actively fighting against God. And has no interest in the things of God. He does not seek the things of God. But opposes God on every front. One man said if I had to add one sigh to my salvation. I would be lost forever. That's how much we oppose God. That's the sinfulness of man. But Armenians, they would say we are sick in sin, not dead in sin, as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2. And because he's not dead, he can call for help of his own free will. Now what exactly were the consequences of the fall on man? What exactly are the consequences of the fall on man? What effect did it have on him? Well, man develops spiritual blindness. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, um, the, the traffic in Manila or Mumbai or one of those crazy Asian cities. But try being a blind man and trying to navigate around there. Here we in Toronto, we've got bird signals to tell blind people where to walk. I have a couple of blind friends and they can navigate. They travel downtown by themselves. But when a blind man is in this chaos, you know it's only a matter of time before he gets killed. And if a blind man, in terms of physical getting around, is in so much danger, imagine a man who's spiritually blind. He doesn't know where to go. That blindness then led to futility. He has no purpose in life, no direction anymore. Life without God was nothingness. He could no longer live for God's glory. And because of that blindness, his judgment was distorted. Remember my sister telling me uh, last week that one of the blind guys called her at 3 o'clock in the morning simply because he didn't know what time it was. They're not, they can't see, they can't look outside and see it start. That's the problem. 
And that's why we've gotten things upside down. Let me give you a couple of examples. Many of you would know who Richard Dawkins is. And he said it is immoral if you don't kill a child with Down syndrome. Immoral if you don't kill. You talk about getting things upside down. Today we murder 100,000 babies in Canada for convenience. We think that's okay. We protect the murderers and we execute the innocent. Suicide has become an option when the Bible says, you don't belong to you. We're told, you belong to you. You have to look after yourself. Slavery isn't shameful anymore. Adultery is appropriate. We celebrate it. Worship is seen as worthless. Why would you waste a Sunday in church when you could be fishing right now? When you could be doing something else, barbecuing in your backyard. Think of how we say transgenderism is liberating. It's enslaving. But they say it's liberating. What a distortion of reality. But that's what happens because of the fall. Man became more and more perverse and did whatever he wished to please his flesh. Remember those three tests that Jesus went through? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. They cover every sin you can imagine. Now think about what the Ten Commandments teach us. To love God, law one through four. Love your neighbor, law five through ten. But what do we hear? I actually heard a man who said he was reformed. Say the Bible talks about three types of love. And you know what the other one is. For him it was self-love. And think of how many self-words have even gotten into the vernacular. The most common word today is selfie. Just before I left there, someone we had some new visitors from uh, Philippines and the, said, we've got to get a selfie before I go pastor to show my grandfather back home. Everyone has selfies. Now, there's nothing wrong if you appropriate times to do so. But selfie, self-love. And there's another one, self-care, which means you take care of yourself before you worry about others. And those things are promoted. This is the opposite of what we're told to do. You have to love your neighbor. You have to love God. You take care of yourself in order to do that. But love is never directed to yourself because love is self-sacrifice. And in order to continue in perverseness, man became defiant in his will. Think of what Hitler did in this merciless slaughter of the Jews. Think of Stalin killing innocent Ukrainians. You know, they found some uh, graves there. One of them, dug up by an Australian man, had 103,000 bodies. Many of them were women going home from work. And he killed them just to put fear in them. Whereas the government's job is to protect the innocent, to punish the criminal. He just punished the criminals. You talk about savage. You know, in the United States, they've killed more people than Hitler killed, than died in the entire World War II. You know, Americans have killed more innocent people than China. China killed about 55, maybe 60 million. America's over 60 million babies have been killed. And they're supposed to be the Christian nation. Man became like beasts. Beasts. Sin had taken over much more 
than even man's emotions. Jeremiah 79, you remember that verse well. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So sin affected man to his core. We use that word radical depravity from the word radix, which means root. Man was corrupted from his very root. Now man is not as sinful as he wants to be because God stops him. But he is sinful in every area of his life. But how wide is that sin? That's the second point. What is the extent of man's sinfulness? The Bible teaches that Adam passed on his sin to all his natural descendants. Not the sinful tendency alone, but sin itself. So every child could be condemned simply because he's a child of Adam. That's the way God made us with that federal headship. By the way, that's why baptism is important. Because the father is the federal head of the family. If he believes in Jesus Christ, then his children were baptized and received the blessings of God. That is God's promise. The only one, of course, who was not sinful when he was born was Jesus Christ because he was not born in the natural way. He had to be perfectly pure to die for our sins. Now the spreading of sin from parents to children was not simply by children imitating parents. That's true. I mean, you've seen the things. You do silly things. Children will do silly things. If you speak harshly to your wife, watch out what the children will do to your wife when you're not there because they will imitate what you do. And that's true part. But that's not the only way. Children are sinful because they're your children. They come from you and you are sinful and therefore they are rotten too. That's what David said in Psalm 51 verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. I know that passage is quoted a lot. The one I like maybe even more is Job 14.4 when he said, Who can bring forth a clean thing out of an unclean? And he answered the question, No one. What do you expect to come from sinners? So the extent of sin, it spreads from father to children to grandchildren. A mother who gave birth through natural conception had to be purified. Why? Because she was a source of putting another sinner into this world. That's why you have all those ceremonies. God wasn't just putting, let's make life difficult for these poor Jewish people. He wanted them to think that that mother had to be purified because of what she just did. She brought forth a sinner. But there's something even more interesting. I'm going to read a passage from Leviticus chapter 12, uh, verse 2 through 5. It says, this, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. Now, but if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, not one, 
as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days, double the time for a boy. And you think, was God unfair to require a longer time of purification for a girl than for a boy? Was this proof of Jewish anti-feminine policy? No. And no. God demanded longer time for the purification of the woman who gave birth to a girl as a reminder that it was the woman who sinned and spread that sin to those who came from her. You see, how God, conscious God is about sin, God remembers every detail. And he deliberately wanted to point that out. That woman was giving birth to another woman who will give birth to another woman. And that sin would be spread. That extent, it just goes out farther and farther. Now this passing of sin from parent to child was because Adam was your federal head. You remember this, if Adam had passed that test in Eden, he and his children would have been confirmed in righteousness and unable to fall even before they were born. Do you realize that? If Adam had passed that test, however long that period was, then everyone would have been born and conformed in righteousness forever. And they would never have been able to fall. But of course he didn't do that. And we were in Adam when he sinned. Now some people don't like this idea too because we think of independence. But remember the Bible says Levi worshipped with Melchizedek. And you think well no he wasn't born yet. But Levi the Bible says was in Abraham when he worshipped with Melchizedek. And this is how a father will speak for the family. A father might get up and say, we won't be going there. And the family knows, okay, I guess we won't be going there. Or the prime minister speaks for Canada. He has that responsibility to be our head. And that's why it was justifiable God to condemn the children of Adam, all of them. And by the way, this is why we baptize children, because their federal head has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, without their agreement, they were cursed in Adam. And without their agreement, they can be blessed in the second Adam. Well, Muslims would argue that God would be unfair if he demands, what man, uh, demands man to do what he's unable to do. But a response to this is in this way. God did not make man sinful. Man of his own free will sinned against God and brought God's judgment upon others. Now, that last question uh, or that last um, article dealing with total inability. Because of man's sin, he is not willing. He doesn't have the desire. And he is not able to be reconciled to God. He's not interested. And even if he did. He couldn't do it. 
And you wonder, how is this so? What is the extent of this judgment? The Lord Jesus pictured this for us. He said in John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. That's what we've become. Our father the devil. We abandoned God, and we were adopted by the devil. So man consistently does opposite to what God says. So God says you shall not make any idols. But man promotes idolatry. He's seen the people on television. You haven't lived until you have had this. And people are drawn. I've got to have that. God uses man's names for jokes or for just expressions. No regard for the holy name of God. Man uses Sabbath to work for himself rather than to stop and to worship God. The state trains children to dishonor their parents, telling them, if your parents spank you, just call us. We will come and take you. Look at the way the government protects murderers. If you try to live a pure life, you're called prude if you don't commit adultery. The state steals from the rich to give to the poor. Then the rich abuse the poor and excuse it as capitalism. What a horrible people we are. Both politicians and preachers speak lies, tell people what they want to hear so they can keep their jobs. Think of the covetous thoughts that are placed into our heads every time you turn on the television or the radio. So man has no interest in reconciliation with God. Man can't be reconciled uh, to God. And doesn't want to be reconciled to God. Jesus said it this way. He said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. If you've had any experience with charismatic people as I did. They take this in a completely different way. They said, well, there was this kind of hole in Jerusalem. And if you took the load off your back and you made your camel and, and you bend down really low, you can crawl through. But it's hard. And what they're saying there is, you can be saved by your own efforts. You just have to try. But that's not what Jesus said, was it? You ladies know if you've got, or men, you know, we did needlework in school too. You, you got a needle and uh, you got to put that thread through it. And at our age, you're getting out all those reading glasses and bifocals so you can do that. Just the thread. Imagine pushing a camel through there. What Jesus would say, it's impossible. You know where that story came from? From the Middle Ages. That story didn't exist in the Bible. That was just made up to justify human effort in salvation. That was a Middle Ages story. Just a cute story, but it's a lie. How then are we saved? God must work faith in the heart of the non-believer that he might receive what Christ offers. What does he offer? His perfect covenant keeping. You see why? We need help. We need the gospel. We need someone to keep the covenant for us. Adam failed. Jesus had to come and live the covenant for us. And so we are credited with his righteousness. He came and had to die for us breaking the covenant. And so we are credited with his holiness. And by faith, which he gives you, you receive what he offers. 
Remember Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. No Christ, no salvation. Let's conclude. What was sin's effect on man? Sin was devastating to man. Man lost the ability to do good, becoming corrupt in his body, in his mind, and in his spirit. That's why you can't even trust your conscience. You know, you hear that saying, let your conscience be your guide. No, let God's word be your guide. Because your conscience has been corrupted as well. And that's why man needed to be pulled. Man was hopeless. He needed somebody to do the, uh, obey the covenant for him. And he needed somebody to pull him so that he would receive the work of Christ. And what was the extent of man's sin? Sin was passed on to the entire human race. He just saw little Casper being baptized this morning. What a beautiful thing it is. And you all look and say, ooh, such a cute baby and all of that. And that's a rotten scoundrel without Christ. Think about that. He inherited sin from his mother and father. But for the grace of God. And that's what the second Adam did. He could restore every one of us. To a right relationship with God. Taking because he took the punishment for our sins. And obeyed and suffered in our nature. Now brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Be beaten down by this message. Be humbled. Feel low. When you consider the extent of your sins. You're sinful from your root. But this diagnosis is life saving. Turn on the lights. See the roaches. And then lift Jesus. Or let him lift you up on high. He lifts you up when you recognize the greatness of the work he did for you. And shows you the wretchedness of your condition. This is what will bring you true peace in the depths of your soul. But along with his work, you're beaten down. You seek Christ and receive him. Then you must work for him. You see, the joy is great. But there's also a job involved. You now must spread that joy to the world. Starting in your home. That's what Colin and Bethany will focus on. That's what you have to focus on with your children. Speaking of the means for true happiness. You know, there are people who enrolled their kids in kindergarten before the kids were born. I find it insane. People find that okay. But they do. Because they value education. How much more shouldn't you value the means of the forgiveness of their sins. And not only spread that message, but pray for the spread of that message that will bring joy. And support the spread of that message that will bring joy. And speak to others. Your neighbors, your friends, your family, your enemies. What is it that they need most? They need to know the wretchedness of their sin. 
They need to know the holiness of God that separates man from God. And then they need to work the work of Christ. His life of obedience, don't forget that, and his sacrificial death. And if you're not a Christian, God offers to change you, to draw you to himself, and clean you of all your sins. Would you receive what he offers? Or do you want to remain in your sins? Your sins will destroy you. The Savior will rescue you.